Live Creative Now, Episode 106. Welcome to Live Creative Now with Melissa Dinwiddie, a weekly podcast to inspire you to create your art and share your work. Because that's how you will change the world. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, passion pluralite artist, happiness catalyst, and creativity instigator, and author of The Creative Sandbox Way, here to address all your questions about living a full-color creative life. Whether you think of yourself as not artistic, not creative, which is a lie, or you think of yourself as an artist of any kind or anything in between, No matter how you define yourself, feeding your creative hungers makes you feel more alive. It's how you change your life, and it's how you change the world. Today, I have a creative conversation for you. This is a conversation with artist Laureen Marchand, who is a friend of mine. I had this conversation way back in September of 2015. Oh God, so embarrassing that it was so long ago. I had a number of conversations that I recorded way back then that got buried in an archive on my hard drive because of my old friend, I say that very sarcastically, my old friend perfectionism. But in my practice of intentional imperfectionism, I am pulling out all of those recordings and I am (laughs) practicing my imperfectionism and letting them be what they are rather than trying to (laughs) edit them within an inch of their lives. And it's been actually really fun to listen to these recordings and just let them be. They're really great, juicy conversations. And this one is no different. Laureen is a professional working artist. But like many professional working artists, she hit up against the reality that the life of an artist is not what so many artists tend to fantasize that it is, you know, eight hours of making art all day long blissful art making. That's like all you do all day long. Mm -mm, Doesn't work that way. So for a long time, Laureen struggled with the same thing that I have struggled with so often in my life, which is this all or nothing mindset. You know, if you can't do your thing, your creative thing, eight hours a day, all day long, then maybe that means you don't get to do it at all right? That is a really miserable place to be. This conversation that I had with Lorraine, she reveals how she figured it out, how she got to the place of happiness and success and balance. And if you are looking for a peek into what it's really like for a real life working artist have a listen to this conversation. And let me know what you think. I would love your feedback. I would love your responses. I would love your takeaways. 
So have a listen and shoot me an email or leave a comment at the end uh, on the the show notes page, livecreativenow.com slash 106. Enjoy. Really, Laureen, what I wanted to talk to you about is how creative expression has made a difference in your life. Well, you've picked a very good, we picked a good day to talk about it because I spent the entire day in my studio and I feel like a different person than I did when I was, last week I was struggling to get into my studio and today I had the whole day and I feel, I can feel my blood pressure is lower, my outlook on the world is brighter. I can just feel the difference. Yeah. Um, my, you know, my goal is to spend all the time in my studio and who gets that? But I know when I'm, when I had a studio day, I can tell the difference it makes. So there's this complete change in outlook, but there's also, um, this, it's, it's a bigger thing for me because this is all I've ever really wanted to do. Mm. And when I, when I first met you, I had kind of lost, lost the thread. Yeah, I remember that. So tell me about, tell me about what happened to, what caused you to lose the thread? What were you doing in that, at that time of your life? I had spent, I had spent three or four years, three years working in a job where it was very difficult to find studio time. Essentially, I had one day a week and I would get to that day and it felt like so little there wasn't any reason to do it mm-hmm. because I'd spend four days a week at my job and one day doing errands and one day kind of recovering and then would come Monday and I didn't have the strength. So I made a big change in my life. I mean, it wasn't just, it wasn't as easy as just saying it, but I did. I chose to move across the province um, leave a lot of things behind in order that I could move towards something that that had so much meaning for me. And then I had I thought that it would just be like walking into a full time artist residency. That that would be all there was to do. And of course life isn't like that. <laughs> um, and I think I was I think I was really disappointed that I couldn't just that I didn't just go from making no art at all to making it all the time with ease. And then I invented a new business for myself that was demanding all over again. And while I really liked doing it, it seemed that I was getting further and further away from my goal, which was to be as close to a full-time working artist as I could be. So I think it was disappointment. I think it was my own inability to see that it didn't have to be all or nothing. I kind of got the idea that it had to be all or nothing at all. And when I couldn't have everything, it I just slipped into 
not doing anything. Wow, I so resonate with that, Laureen. That <laughs> kind of describes about a decade of my life. <laughs> and we in and, and I've talked to so many people who've had that same experience. So what enabled you to get out of that sticky mindset of all or nothing? I think I was so disappointed that I finally realized that I was going to need some help. And I remember sitting at my computer one night Googling create creativity coach, creative coach. I f and I found one in Canada and we ended up talking for a while over a period of months and I got some work done and then summer came and I went back to my summer business and I still wasn't making art in a way that felt like it was really foundational and I began looking for help again and that was when I found you mm. and at, at the time you were doing um, I think monthly open calls. Oh, right. What I learned to trust about your open calls was that even when you got some people phoning in who needed more help than creativity could give them, <laughs> that you were so open and so calm and so focused. And I thought, well, maybe you could help me too. So I joined your first your first group it made a huge difference it made a huge difference to have the accountability to have other people who were moving towards me more creativity in their own lives and you focused on each of us so much in in the time that e each of us had within the hour hour and a half call that you kind of gave me back my sense of self when it came to making art my sense that I could you kind of gave me back my sense that I could be my own support which I had been able to do before and and I lost lost the faith I think I lost faith in myself so support longing and action I think those were key you and I have worked together off and on for a while and it was working with you where I found the phrase any amount counts <laughs> um, because you had 15 minutes a day and that that was the phrase you used and I always thought 15 minutes that's not enough it's too little to count and one day it occurred to me that any amount counts I have trouble hanging on to that. It isn't as easy as, as saying it and repeating it, but because I still sometimes feel like there's there's some amount of art making that I ought to be doing, mm -hmm. and if, if I'm not doing it, then it doesn't count. But I started keeping track. And now I'm writing down the amounts and I'll writing down the amounts of time and I'll write down 15 minutes and it counts. Oh, I love that. And of course, because, 
Any amount counts. Yes. And of course, I now refer to that as the law of Laureen. (laughs) (laughs) Any amount counts. When I talk about the how I got started back creating again, playing in the creative sandbox is what I now refer to it as. It was with a 15 minute a day minimum to feel like I could check it off and say, yes, I did it. That was so hugely powerful for me to realize that, oh, I, it doesn't have to be two or three hours or an entire weekend or whatever. 15 minutes is actually enough to get into a state of flow. Is it is it enough to make me feel like I get everything I want? Of course not. But it's enough to keep my toe in the creative stream, which is huge. And I don't time anymore in terms of what counts for me to be able to check off that, yes, I did it. I use the law of Laureen. Any amount counts. <laughs> well, I am just thrilled. <laughs> wow. And keep as you keeping your toe in the creative flow is huge because it's hard to get it back if you lose it. It's hard. It's like there's a a river, and you need to be you need to stand in the river regularly, or or the river flows by without you. It doesn't mean that if you don't do that, there's no point in trying. But if you stay close to it, you're much more likely to be able to to grab the flow sometimes when it's just going by yeah. than if you than if you're miles away doing something else entirely. Yeah. So it's it's important to me to be to spend the time in my studio that I can, and then it's important that when I have the time, I use it, whatever that means. Yes. Yeah. So beautifully put. So tell me, Laureen, what, what is your creative practice like now in terms like, how does it fit? How does your creative expression fit in with your life, your whole life? I know you ideally would be a working artist 100% of the time and <laughs> not have to worry about <laughs> All the the slings and arrows of daily life, perhaps, but like the rest of us. But how does it how does it work for you? What are what is your week like? I don't think I have a typical week. You're right that I would. I'm smiling because I think I would be a a working artist 100 percent of the time, and I forget to take the garbage out. And, <laughs> you know, when I have this idea of an artist's residence, you know, a life like walking into an artist's residency. Well, of course, that's entirely impractical because when you're at an artist's residency, someone else is buying the groceries and they're changing the bed linens and they are washing the floor and you never take the cat with you so the cat doesn't need to get any attention. <laughs> right. And all you have to do is make art and clean paintbrushes most people who are at an artist residency for longer than two or three weeks are really ready to leave. <laughs> life, while really rich, is not very wide. Yeah, true. <laughs> people get a little bonkers after a while if they're <laughs> at a residency too long. <laughs> they start Sometimes they start looking for trouble just because otherwise life is too smooth. 
Um, but I don't. I don't have a typical week. I'm it, the only thing that I do, like clockwork, is I have a a little job in my local grocery store on truck delivery day. So on Thursday mornings at eight o'clock, I go into the grocery store and. The manager and I unload the delivery truck, and then we start pricing. And then at 9 o'clock, the other staff member comes in, and the three of us price and put things on the shelves and work the till until we're done. And I'm a casual staff member. I work every Thursday in the morning, which could be 8 to noon or 8 to 2, depending on how big the delivery is and how busy it is. And I work one Saturday a month. So that's my regular job. Um, I live in a community of somewhere between 110 and 130 people, literally in the middle of nowhere. I live next to Grasslands National Park, which is one of Canada's really, I think, most beautiful but remote regions. If I drive for an hour and 20 minutes, that's 85 miles. I can get to the nearest, biggest, nearest, larger community, and it has about fifteen thousand people in it. Wow! And that's the big—that's the big one. Unless you're going to drive for three to four hours in other directions. Um, and when I say three to four hours, that's not traffic. That's you know sixty-five miles an hour. Yeah. All the time that you can that it takes you because there is no traffic there's no people there's no nothing except scenery so there is one one grocery store and I go to work at it every Thursday morning and that's the only thing I do right now that's regular but I also do freelance work and I will put it off until I have to do it or sometimes I'll let it run my week instead of the studio running my week and it's really easy to get into the habit of letting the freelance work run things instead of structuring it around the studio time. Yeah. Probably that's because as wonderful as being a full-time working artist is, it's hard work creating your identity with every mark you make. <laughs> yes. and, and doing it on a full-time basis is more difficult than practically anything else that a person wants to do. I think that's one reason why it's easy to slip away from a creative practice because it, in your creative practice you are constantly making decisions about who you are and how you're going to express that. It's easier, it's just easier to do the laundry, go to a job, even a demanding job. You have a built-in structure and a built-in identity. That's a really good point. And it's not, it does, it does, I'm not saying that someone who moves away from their creative practice to a more structured environment has a personality flaw or a weakness. But I think that making, having to make decisions about who you are all the time is demanding and difficult. And nobody wants to do it all the time, even if they, even if your creative practice is very important to you. It's, it's, in a way, it 
there's always the draw to go be with other people and have a structure built in where mm-hmm. you don't have to question things all the time. Yeah, I mean, that's why it's so easy for me to get sucked into email or checking one of my Facebook groups or something like that, because the tasks are usually very discreet and relatively simple. Like I know what to do in most cases. Whereas when I'm approaching any of my creative pursuits, I'm basically jumping into a void. (laughs) This big, massive void of uncertainty. (laughs) And, you know, it's just constant uh, uncertainty and multiple decisions one after the other, which is, it's like you said, it's really hard work. And it's just so easy to instead turn to, oh, I can, I can just crank this thing out and check it off the list. And then I feel like I've accomplished something. (laughs) And then a person would wonder why would anyone want to reach for a creative life? But I think the answer is that because when you touch it, it is so rich. And even the difficulties, if you get that creative flow, if you can push back the internal critic and the internal doubter and every teacher you've ever had who said, dear, that's not what a sky actually looks like. (laughs) If you can push that back so that the decisions you're making are based on this is who I am and this is what has meaning to me, there's just nothing like it for for richness and depth and just a feeling of, and the feeling of meaning, I think. Yes. Amen. Well, and that's what my creative sandbox rules that I developed are like, sort of like... I don't know, armor or scaffolding or something. I don't know what the right metaphor is that allows me to dive into that void and manage all of those inner voices, the growl is gremlins and stuff. Because the second that I start thinking that I need to impress somebody with what I'm doing, or it needs to be in a certain, some way, you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. It needs to be that it's about the outcome. The second that I get sucked into that mm-hmm. ego space, that's when I get paralyzed. And of course, it's a really tricky balance because, I mean, of course, we want to make things that please us. Of course we do. So it's this constant dance of letting my editor take a look at what I'm working on, whether it's music or writing or painting or whatever it is, my stop motion animations or whatever, letting my editor give give me some direction and then pulling the editor back and going back into my inner four-year-old and letting myself play and and be be in the process because the process, that's where that's where that's there's that incredible nourishing depth and meaning. Absolutely. <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> I'm, I'm really product oriented. Mm-hmm. I always have been. Um, if, if, if I don't have products 
developing her products to show, it kind of feels like um, it, it feels like it doesn't count somehow. Mm-hmm. But without process, there is no product. Right. And exactly. process is is where you have to be in order for in, in order to get the results you have you have to stay in process one way or another. I had a, a hard kind of a difficult summer with my art practice because I came to the end of a series of works in July and it that was a short series that was developing out of I spent two years working on a major exhibition that mm. opened a year ago. And then I spent the fall looking for what was going to come after it. And by winter, I thought I had it by November or December. And that turned out to be a false trail. So I started again, and this time I was going someplace. And I made five paintings in this new series and that turned out to be a short series so I started again and I kept having this idea this glimmer of what I wanted things to look look like and it just it didn't work um, it wasn't a matter of inner critic taking over it was just another it was another false trail um, I followed the trail until I discovered it wasn't going anywhere and I had spent six weeks trying to force force paintings out and pretend myself pretend to myself that it was flow. And there was one night about two or three weeks ago where I was awake in the middle of the night, one of those three o'clock in the morning things, <laughs> prepared to wake up the next morning and discovered I had no more art career, that it was over. I had to stop. And it turned out it wasn't. So now I'm producing something that I think think now I'm on a trail and I think I can see I think I'm on a real trail now and I think I can see you know that it's like any other trail it goes someplace and it has branches and I might come back and go down some of those branches but it's, it hasn't been very long it's been only maybe it's been only a couple of weeks and today I was painting I was in my studio all day and there was a point where I looked at what I was doing and I thought what if I still don't know how to do this and then I thought then don't look <laughs> <laughs> if looking at it makes you feel like that then don't look just keep moving <laughs> wow that's great advice to yourself I was, it was, I was quite conscious of this sudden arresting of action you know Suddenly, I'm looking at what I'm doing instead of doing it. Mm. Okay, stop looking now. Just, just keep moving. <laughs> so interesting, Lorraine, because I've I've been experiencing something kind of similar, and I I really resonate with your metaphor of the. What did you say about the trail? It was a false trail or something. False trail, yeah. Yeah, I my experience is that I I feel like I. Do spend a lot of time flailing around looking for a trail, and then when I finally find one, then it just it just takes me to this like down this beautiful journey, and it's 
becomes this lovely groove. And that's when I'm in flow and that's my, my favorite place to be. And I just love it. But eventually that trail starts to dry up for me. And what happens really is that I found this lovely groove and I'm trying to stay in it. So it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper until it becomes a very deep rut. But my bliss is bounding off in some other direction. It's taken some side trail or some completely different path or something, but I haven't been following it because I've been so intent on staying in this groove, not letting myself acknowledge that it's a rut. And then finally I acknowledge that it's a rut and I'm back to flailing. <laughs> you know, I think that's what the creative process is. And I'm, I've spent some time thinking about it over the last months because, you know, the creative process hasn't been perfect. So I've, I've had time to think about it. But I think that, think that when we make something, we learn how to do it. And... The temptation, I don't know if it's a temptation, I think it's natural. We learn how to do something, and so we do it for a while. And then all of a sudden, it isn't a groove anymore, it's a rut. So we have a choice of either continuing to make something that we know how to make, and that is no longer creativity, right? or we have a choice of finding the new thing that we'll learn how to make. And there's a point at which that's not creativity either. It's flailing. So you have a choice of cre- not cre- not having creativity because you're only repeating yourself, or you have a choice of feeling like you're you're not creative because you haven't gotten to the new groove yet. Yeah. And and you're stepping across a gap that's a little wider than your stride. So all you can do is push off with the remaining foot and hope that foot you reach out with gets you on to the next trail. And sometimes it doesn't. I, I'm I'm getting into this metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, this place where I live, these grasslands, there are marked trails, and then and some of them aren't very. Some of them are paths rather than marked trails. And then you can find yourself on something that's, in fact, a deer track. Deer are really good. They like to follow paths, and they'll make a path, which gets made because other deer follow it. But for a human, you follow a deer path until suddenly there isn't anything there anymore because <laughs> the deer have got bored with the path, and they've gone bounding across the prairie. And they can do that, and we can't. So then you come to the end of this deer path and think, okay, I wonder where I've got myself to where the real trail is. Oh, well, it doesn't really matter because I can't really get lost. All I have to do is get up on top of a hill, and then I can see where I've been. But you are flailing through long grass or cactuses or, um, you know, you wonder what's at the bottom of the grass. And sooner or later, you get onto the trail. And if it's not nighttime and it's not winter, you're in no real danger. But our hindbrain doesn't believe that, you know. It believes that the danger is real. It, it can't distinguish between the danger of nighttime and winter. 
and something that just feels like danger because for a few moments you don't know where you're going. Yeah. And I think that's what this creative metaphor is about, that you don't know where you're going and it feels really scary. But the worst that can happen is that, well, what's the worst that can happen? You are not going to get lost and freeze to death. You're not going to be eaten by tigers. The worst that can happen is that you'll spend some time making a creative effort that doesn't quite work out. Yeah. So you head down another path. Now, telling me that when I'm in the middle of a three o'clock in the morning, I have no no artist career left. <laughs> my my sensible brain doesn't necessarily come to the fore at that time. Right. My sensible brain comes to the fore when I've spent the entire day in my studio and things are not going too badly. <laughs> so I guess that's another reason to do it more often. I, Lorraine, I think the really the worst thing that can happen is that we give up. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. But that's that feels like the easy thing, you know? Yep. And in the short term, of course, it is easier. But very quickly, boy, if you have a creative hunger and you're not feeding it, you get cranky very quickly. And if you d- continue to not feed it, then watch out because that's when depression and all kinds of other bad things really settle in. Mm-hmm. You, it's, you get disappointed, dis- profoundly disappointed that you have not f- followed the thing that's calling you, that you haven't fed your creative hunger, and you start to believe that you aren't able to, you aren't worthy of doing it, that this feeling of disappointment and failure is what life is really like. Yeah. And it isn't. Life isn't like that. <laughs> life is full of things you can make and things you can do. Yeah. Why not make them? So when you are in that place, Laureen, which you've just been going through, what what helps? What do you what do you do? Let's see. This last time, I I was lucky. I found people to talk to. And one day when I was, I was flailing. I was going back to old images. This path had just, this, it had become apparent to me that this wasn't a path. This wasn't even an, even a deer trail. This was just, this was a real false trail. And I was going back through old images and wondering if I could repaint paintings that I had painted before just so I'd be doing something. And a friend of mine came over for some completely other reason and we started to talk and she said, I don't think that subject matters so much. I think what matters is that you pick something you like and do it. Mm. And I began to look for something that I liked. The way that I find images is by I set up a kind of still life. If when you hear the term still life, it sounds like a pot of flowers and a couple of apples or something. And my still lifes don't look like that, but I do set up some objects and I light them and I look for some kind of 
I photograph them and I look for some kind of meaning in the photograph. And then I look for a way to turn that meaning into a painting. So I began to set things up. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was looking for an, a subject I liked or an image I liked. And I, and because I needed it so badly, I guess I found one. I knew what I knew from the other false paths I'd been on. What wasn't going to work? Mm -hmm. I knew it when I saw it, and I had to trust that I knew what was false when I saw it, and that I knew what was true when I saw it. It took a few days, and then all of a sudden I thought, I don't know if this is true, but I'm going to try it. And that seems to be how it works, trusting that it might not be true, but it might be. Mm. Finding that trust is, is, uh, is way easier when you keep on moving than if you stop. Yeah, and, I, and I've known this so many times that ideas come out of making things. Yes. Ideas for the next thing you're going to make come out of making one. And if you're in, for me, it's in the studio. For someone else, it might be um, the craft that they practice or being out in the world taking photographs or being in front of the piano or something. But if you're in the place where the making happens and you're making, you're much more likely to figure out what is true. You're much more likely to understand what's true. Yeah. Boy, and it's what's so fascinating is that when you're in that place of feeling like, oh, I don't have any ideas, I'm stuck, I've got a creative block, the, it's so counterintuitive, or it feels so counterintuitive to, to sit down and do something because your mind is telling you, but you don't know what to do. You can't do anything. But it it is the act of doing something that is, is going to de-rust those creative taps and turn them on. And the thing that's so interesting to me is Every single time I have felt, oh my God, I'm blocked. Oh my God, my creative taps are just permanently rusted shut. That's it. I'm dry forever. That's it. Every single time when I have just done something, it might feel really kind of painful for the first couple of days because <laughs> everything I produce feels like crap, but it doesn't take as long as I'm afraid it's going to. I have this mm -hmm. fear that it's I'm ne it's just never going to flow again. And it that it's that feeling feels like it's going on forever because when you're in the middle of it all you can sense is that feeling of blockedness. And then all of a sudden something will spark and that will spark something else. It's it's kind of like a domino effect or something. I think in a way, working through a creative block, one thing you have to do is take what you're doing seriously. I don't mean, you know, get all beetle-browed about it, but I mean, um, don't make a mark and erase it, and then make another mark and erase it. Mm. Don't Don't knit a row and pull it out, or take pictures and delete them. You need... 
think you need to take it seriously enough to keep going. Yeah. And make a mark and then make another mark. Or play some notes and then play some more. It, it doesn't matter so much that what you do is good. It really does matter that you do it. Yeah. Well, you know, Lorraine, that, that made me think about my the way I write, my, my writing process. And I can't tell you how many times I have sat down or actually since I now write standing at my treadmill desk, I have stood <laughs> at my computer or sat at my journal and thought, I don't know what to write about. Oh, I need to write a blog post. I don't know what to write about. And the act of starting you know, it, maybe I write a paragraph, maybe I write two paragraphs, those paragraphs may never end up in the final piece. But it's the writing of those paragraphs that prime the pump, and get the rest to start flowing out. And you are a wonderful writer. And I oh, know that's you. something that thank you've, you. you've done, you've taken, well, you started a blog uh, fairly recently in your life. Mm-hmm. I did that my, my first, my first blog post was I guess will be four years ago at Christmas yeah and I don't know how much you wrote before that I've I I've written articles about the business of art for several years but it's more like writing research papers yeah I look at what other people have said and I pull it together. Right. So writing something that's more personal is new for me. Well, and you you have a really poetic way of writing. You I love reading your blog posts. I I just know I'm always going to enjoy them because they're so beautiful and so poetic and they make me think. And I'm curious how your writing process compares to your painting process. What are the similarities there? I don't know if I know enough about it. When I'm writing, I need I need a first sentence. And sometimes the first sentence doesn't end up in the published product. Mm-hmm. But I need I just I kind of wander around the house and I'll think about my topic for a few days and sometimes I'll have a false start or two and then I think okay I think that's the first sentence and then I put that one down and then I try to figure out what sentences are going to come after it Um, and it is it is similar in that if you don't know what you're going to write you start writing you know, sometimes I think I want to talk about this, but I don't know what I want to say exactly. I kind of have an idea of where I might want to get to, but I don't know how to get there. I don't think anybody knows how they're going to get there. I don't think I don't think anybody knows when they're practicing their art or craft how they're going to get to the end. But you find out through this process of you find out by starting. That is so true. So I write a sentence, and then I try and add one to it, and then I try and add another one, and then I might go back and change the first one. 
I'm I don't write by I don't do uh, let it all out first drafts. I'm kind of revising as I go, mm -hmm. and when I, I when I think I'm at a point where I can leave my sentence alone, then I go on to the next one. And sometimes I'll go back and make some changes, but I don't write by you know writing several pages and then letting it be and then going back and redoing it. But in fact, since you've asked me how it's similar, I don't paint like that either. I paint the same way. I start in a place and I chip away at it until it feels like it's done. And then I move on to the next place. And mm. sometimes I have to go back and change something that I couldn't see the first time. But um, yeah, I do write and paint in the same way. I'll start and then I'll fiddle with it till I think. I've done everything to that that I can, and then I'll go and fiddle with another part until I've done everything to that that I can. That's really cool. And when it's done, it's done when I say it's done. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I think, and I'll go to my grave swearing I meant it that way. <laughs> I'm as done as I can get it. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine used to tell a story about being in he, he, he's a Canadian, and he was traveling in Los Angeles, and he ordered, um, he was in a, a coffee shop, and he ordered brown toast. And what he meant was whole wheat toast, or wheat toast, but in Canada it's called brown toast. And when the, when the waitress brought him the toast, it was white toast. And he and it, only it was kind of burnt looking. <laughs> he said, "But I, I, I wanted brown toast." And she said, "Honey, that's as brown as we can get it." <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes I think that's as brown as I can get it. <laughs> oh my God, I love that story. Yeah, it was. I think it was Patty Dye who said about writing a book: "A book is never finished; it's just published." Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about my blog posts. Because they're, uh, you know, I there's always something that feels like it's not quite the way I want it. It's not really expressing what I want to express. But you know what? It's as, as good as I can get it right now. Yep, yeah. Well, the great British painter Lucian Freud was known to walk into the homes of collectors. He's who bought his paintings and try and change them. <laughs> nothing was ever done. Nothing was ever as, as, as good, you know, nothing was ever f perfect enough. Yeah. And, that, and that's a man who had a brilliant career of, of making really bold art. So I figure if if he has trouble letting go, then then my uh, difficulties letting go are not, <laughs> are not that strange. But at some point yeah. you have yeah, well, I think it's a practice. You know, it's, it's, I mean, I, I call it my practice of imperfectionism, of letting things out into the world, when they're not as good or as perfect as I wish that they were, as I wish that I could make them. Because, you know, it's not gonna touch anybody. It's not gonna do any good. If I don't let it out. And yet it's still so easy. It's so easy for me to get stuck in 
get oh, get sucked into that ego place of, oh, but this needs to be good. I need to impress people with this. Oh, I've gotten a lot of really positive feedback. So the next thing that I do has to top the last thing that I do. And I have to keep pulling myself back to, no, just just let it be. Just let it be imperfect. Just come back to the creative sandbox. Just make something. Don't worry about the outcome. Just make something. I, I think as long as we keep making something, what we make, we'll get better at it. Yeah, absolutely. But, but you can't ever get better at it if you don't start and you can't get better at it if you keep ripping out the same row of stitches over and over (laughs) yeah it's so true at some point you have to have to put the sweater down (laughs) in order to know what the next sweater ought to look like or the painting or the piece of music or the or the poem yeah and it still continues to kind of i don't know astound me how the things that i will reluctantly put out into the world because hey it's all I got today and I want to share something even though this thing I'm not particularly proud of those things I still get comments from people that wow this thing that you made really touched me or this blog post is my favorite one you've ever written or you know those kinds of comments from people so that's something that I keep reminding myself as well that, you know, I just never know how what I make is going to touch somebody else. And I am not, you know, I'm not the sole arbiter of what is good. You know, just because my taste might say, eh, it's not as good as I want it to be. You know, my, my taste is not the only valid opinion out there. Other people will see or read or hear different things yeah in your work no matter what you do i think that our job is to be honest mm-hmm. in in the marks we make and get them as good as we can get them and then go and be honest somewhere else oh, i love that i love that wow lorraine i feel like i could just talk to you for hours this is uh, this has turned into uh, really juicy conversation and it it's I, I don't know what I was expecting I but this is uh, I, I, I think I was I love that this has become this sort of juicy philosophical discussion <laughs> it's such a pleasure Melissa it's, it's always good to talk to you and um you ask good questions, and I really appreciate the opportunity to to dig a little deeper and think about the answers. Mm, yeah, me too. It's really fun to talk about this stuff with somebody else, rather than just having it spin around in my own head. <laughs> <laughs> a conversation with myself. Let's have another one of those today. I do it all the time. Exactly. Maybe with my cat, right? <laughs> my my cat only only wants compliments. It's all she hears. <laughs> You know, my cat's the same way. <laughs> yeah, I think if there's anything besides a, a compliment direct to her, she's just humming. <laughs> my cat, whenever somebody comes over to the house, she she assumes that their sole purpose for being here is to give her attention. <laughs> 
And isn't she right? <laughs> oh, yes. So would, would that we could all live with the confidence of my cat. But yep. Lorene, um, tell, tell people how they can find you. I'm at LoreneMarchand.com, and my paintings are there, and my blog is there, and the services to other artists that I offer are there. And I'm on Facebook as How to Be an Artist, which is not an instruction. It's a question. Mm, love it. Questions there. And I don't do anything else. I don't tweet. I don't Instagram. I think a person has to choose what some of the things they're going to do, and I can't keep up. But I'm regularly on my website and on Facebook. So I would love to have your readers and listeners come and visit me there. Cool. And the fact that you are not spending your time tweeting and Instagramming, that you've kept your online presence limited, means that you have more time to make art. <laughs> I, I hope it does. I hope it's not just cowardice. <laughs> no, no, I'm a big believer in limiting, limiting your which social media platforms you dive into, because my goodness, otherwise, that's all we would do all day long, and we wouldn't create anything. <laughs> Some people seem to be able to manage it all, but I don't know how they do it. I don't either. And I've just, I've decided to just stop comparing myself to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a false, false trail if there ever was one. Yeah, really. Not that I'm always so good at, at stopping that, but that's at least my intention. (laughs) It's a practice like everything else. It is. Well, Lorene, thanks again. Thank you for chatting with me today. As always, it is just a pleasure. And I'm super excited to share our conversation with my audience. Thank you, Melissa. It's a pleasure to be here. So that was my conversation with Lorene. And now it's time for this week's Something Cool, which is the power of negotiation. No, not just negotiation, as in a discussion that leads to an agreement, but the creative live class taught by Vanessa Van Edwards called The Power of Negotiation. There's a link in the show notes, livecreativenow.com slash 106, which will take you directly to that page. Now, it is, full disclosure, that is an affiliate link. So I will make a little coin if you click through it, or you can just go to creativelive.com and do a search on the power of negotiation. Here's the thing. I was super, super lucky to get to be in the studio audience, the live studio audience, when this class, the power of negotiation was live streamed on video last Thursday, April 20th. And oh my God, mind blown. First of all, Vanessa Van Edwards, if you are not fil- familiar with her already, she is a total hero of mine. Basically, I want to be her when I grow up, except she's 20 years younger than I am. So that would be kind of impossible. Plus, of course, she's her and I'm me. But <laughs> anyway, Vanessa is a behavioral investigator. 
She's also a self-declared recovering awkward person, though you would totally never guess that from her pictures and her videos, because not only is she drop-dead gorgeous, but she is utterly captivating and she just seems completely at ease no matter what she's doing. So you would just never guess that she was an awkward person. But what's so fascinating about Vanessa is that she used her awkwardness to sort of hack human behavior and figure out how to how to learn to become non-awkward. And now she runs this amazing lab and website called The Science of People, where she and her team research anything and everything having to do with human behavior and what makes us tick. And she is also a wildly popular instructor over at Creative Live. And if you're not familiar with Creative Live, it is a an online learning, web, it's a website where you can learn all kinds of amazing things. And Vanessa has taught three other classes. She's taught body language, people skills, and happiness. And now negotiation. And before this class on negotiation, the very idea of negotiation <laughs> made me want to made me break out in hives. Oh, man, it just made me so freaking anxious. So when the opportunity arose to be in the live studio audience, when Vanessa taught the power of negotiation for creative live, I boom, I just jumped at it. But here's the thing. Even if I had not been in the studio audience, which is such a great experience, being in the creative live live studio audience is so is really an amazing, wonderful experience. Even if I had not gotten to meet my hero, which was an amazing, wonderful experience, <laughs> I will not lie. The content of this class is so life changing. I cannot recommend it highly enough. If you ever have to negotiate, and who doesn't? I mean, who doesn't have to buy a car someday, you know, every several years or something? Who doesn't have to ask for a raise at some point or set a price on a product or service? Everybody has to negotiate at some point. You need this class and it will completely transform the way you think about negotiation, about how you approach every single negotiation you ever take on. Seriously, I was so skeptical because it's only a three-hour class and then there's this one-hour bonus section that has Q&A and a case study. I thought, really? Three hours? what can I possibly get in three hours, you know, that's going to help me negotiate better? My mind was completely blown. I have gone from feeling really pretty terrified and powerless, <laughs> kind of deer in the headlights, <laughs> every time I have to negotiate, to feeling empowered, and even kind of excited. Honestly, Vanessa breaks negotiation down into three parts before the negotiation, which is a huge chunk. There's all kinds of things that you can do to prepare. 
before you even ever talk to the person you're negotiating with. Amazing. Never even occurred to me. And then during the negotiation, and then after the negotiation, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you can do after the negotiation too that also never even occurred to me. She breaks it all down and makes it so accessible and approachable. And man, it just made me feel so calm and grounded and like, wow, I have control is amazing. So that is this week's something cool. It's the power of negotiation over at Creative Live. And meanwhile, be sure to check out Vanessa's brand new book, which just came out yesterday. If you're listening to the podcast on the day it launches or the day it publishes, Captivate, Vanessa's brand new book is called Captivate the Science of Succeeding with People. And it just launched April 25th. And I happened to get a free copy as part of being in the class. And I started digging in. I'm only a couple of chapters in, but just like everything else Vanessa does, it's fantastic. And it really is a compilation of so much of the research that Vanessa and her team have uh, compiled and also done. They do a, a ton of research at their lab, as well as compiling research that's already been done. It's brilliant. I actually bought 10 copies to give as gifts because I knew it would be so fantastic. It'd be such a fantastic gift to give to, um, to give to just people. So anyway, that is this week's something cool. Enjoy. So that's it. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you're getting value out of the podcast, as always, the best way to thank me is to tell your friends. And I would so appreciate it if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. Those reviews are how other people find the show. So that makes a really, really big difference. And you would totally make my day by leaving me a new review. I might even read your review on the air. Do they say that? I guess they don't really say that on podcasts because <laughs> this is recorded. So we're not really on the air. But <laughs> anyway, P. Rinalo writes, very inspiring. Five stars. Not only inspiring and creative, but a very generous teacher with real practical tips. Thank you. Thank you, P. Rinalo. Your review doesn't have to be long. It could be super short, just like that. If you need step-by-step instructions, just go to livecreativenow.com slash iTunes dash review. That's livecreativenow.com slash iTunes hyphen review. That is it. Until next time, thanks again for joining me and go get creating. Subscribe at livecreativenow.com.